family, family matters. All Generation Sunday is Family Sunday, and, and it makes it fun. By the way, if your kids are in here with us today, don't like stress if your kid makes noise or anything like that. It's all good. It's uh, sometimes the kids are the ones who give me the most feedback, and so that's fine. I like feedback because sometimes the grown-ups in here are a little quiet for my taste. We're in the middle of a series that we kicked off our new year with called Between the Waters. We're looking into the story of the Israelites after they have left Egypt. They left. And this story is really, they're in this, this time where they're between the Red Sea and they're between the Jordan River, the between the waters. This is kind of a jumping off point for us to discover ways to thrive and grow in the midst of our own journeys, right? Because we're all in this journey toward the, the promises of God in our life, the things that He's leading us toward. And because whatever stage of life you're in, you are still on the journey. I've never talked to anybody who was like, I feel like I have arrived at promised land. Because if you have, if you arrive at promised land, it usually means you're dead. Uh, it reminds me of that, that line from Gladiator. I love it. Gladiator Maximus. He's uh, trying to, uh, you know, muster up the, the courage and the bravery of all the other soldiers. They're fixing to go into battle and they're a little scared. And he's like this, look, he tells them, hold the line, take heart. And if in the middle of the battle, if in the middle of the battle you should see yourself in a green field with the sun shining on your face, well then take heart and don't worry because you're dead and you're in heaven right? So that's kind of, as we're all on the journey, the alternative is, is to not be here. So it means we have a lot to learn from these miraculous stories that we've been reading. Now, this week's passage is in Exodus 18. If you have a Bible, you can go there. But it's interesting because uh, we've actually seen a bunch of miracles happen, and today's story is really not about a miracle. It is about a conversation that Moses has with somebody that completely changes his life. It changes how he leads the people from that point on. Today's message is really about, in one sense, it's about leadership. It's lessons that we can learn from Moses' style of leadership and what he picks up along the way. But it's also about something very much larger than that. It's bigger than leadership. Um, it's something every single one of us, young and old, have an opportunity to engage in every day, and that is influence. All of us are called to be people of influence. We have a circle of people around us. Whether, you, whether you're four years old or you're 90, you have a circle of people that you influence, and every single one of us have those people. The people those are people who speak into our lives, and they're the people that we speak into theirs. And when I look around and I see the difference between people who are really like fresh and flourishing and, and their, their spiritual life is growing and their, their faith is growing, the difference between those folks and people who are just kind of stagnant, very often, it's, you can point to, to how aware we are to the influence that we're created to have with each other. Some people just become kind of closed off little islands to themselves. No more influence, in or out, right? And, um, and that's why I'm really excited to have the kids in here, because uh, I think this is something valuable for all of us. So, open up your Bibles with me. We have Exodus 18. We're going to continue our series in verse 1. Now, Jethro. Jethro, that's a good southern name, Jethro. I like that. The priest of Midian and the father-in-law of Moses heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Oh, no, no, hold up just for a second now. Did you know, who is Jethro? It says he's a priest of Midian. Priest of Midian. So Jethro is Moses' father-in-law, uh, but he's also currently still the priest of Midian. 
we need to take a second and understand what that means. Midian and the Midianites are a pagan people. These are not Israelites. They're not Hebrews. They're not Jews. They're a pagan people. They're polytheists. They worship lots and lots of idols. And uh, if you remember, you know, some of you in your Bibles, a couple hundred years later after this, there's a story of a guy named Gideon, and he leads this tiny little band of Israelites. Remember, he, God like whittles down his little army to just a couple hundred people, and they break a thing, and then they charge down the mountain, and they defeat the army of the Midianites. That's these folks. That's the same folks. So Jethro is a pagan priest within the Midianite system, and we're going to read here that he comes to this point of, of believing that the God, Yahweh, is the God of Israel, is the God of the whole world. Um, so he believes in God, but he hasn't yet left his old religion here. Uh, he, he, you know, he's kind of like a spiritual seeker in process. Uh, there's a lot of folks like that today. And so he believes in God, but he hasn't left the old religion. And what I love about this passage is that it really sets him up as this wise person that we can learn from, even though he wouldn't traditionally fit into our, you know, our religious tribe of, oh, he's one of us. Um, he'd be a person who, says, who would say today, like, well, I acknowledge the good of your God. Like, Jesus seems really cool. He seems, like, nice. He's teaching us to be good. But I still want to hang on to some of the old ways, my old religion or something like that, you know, my old traditions. And, we, you know, we would say, well, that's not really making Jesus your Lord, and that's syncretism, and, and that would be true. But... Yet when you meet Jethro in this story, if you're like me, you can't help but like him. Uh, he, he's a man of, of great wisdom and patience, and he genuinely wants to help Moses, it turns out, with, his, with, with Moses' calling as leader of God's people. We also learned that earlier, uh, Moses had sent away his family. For some reason, his wife and his kids, he had sent them away when traveling in the wilderness after the events of the, the Exodus. Um, when they came out of Egypt... He sent Zipporah, the sons, back to Jethro to live with him. We don't really know why. It doesn't say exactly why. It could have just been that he thought, like, things were going to get too dangerous, you know, so just go live with, you know, your father. It'll be safer there. Um, or it could just be that he is too busy. And there is a good clue for that, as we're going to find out, that he's actually just so focused on his role of leading all the people, you know, and he's feeling haggard and torn, and, and there's so many people coming to him all the time, and he's having to lead these people, that he just says to the family, hey, you know what, I can't be the family person you need right now and lead all these people at the same time, so you need to go, you need family, uh, y'all go back to Midian, where you came from. And so in verse 5, it says, Jethro says, to, he, he tells Moses' family, come on, we're going to go, come with me, we're going to turn around, we're going to go back to Moses in the wilderness, and he brings Moses' family back to him, and he reunites them. And I, I love, I see here, there's, there's something about Jethro that, that says, if Moses is too busy to even have time for, for family, uh, then there's something wrong. There's something wrong here. I'm going to go back. I'm going to keep my eyes open, and we're going to go back and, and see what's going on. And by the way, there's a powerful principle here for every single one of us, moms and dads in this room, uh, from this passage, and that is this. If you're too busy for your family, you're too busy. If you're too busy for your family, you're too busy. And uh, how's that for, like, Captain Obvious, right? If you're too busy for family, you're too busy. Um, there's something out of balance. There, there's something, uh, and here's another one. If you don't have time to do everything that God calls you to do, then there is something that you're doing that's outside of God's will. I'll say that again. 
If you don't have time to do everything that God's called you to do, then something you are doing is outside of the will of God. Now, that thing might not be a sin in your life, um, but it's something that you need to trim out, okay? Because God wouldn't call you to do something uh, if you didn't have time to do it. You may be, there may be something, some ways that you're wasting time, right? And there are some things that you need to trim out of your life, and God will help reveal that. But listen, this is a principle. It doesn't matter if you run your own business or you serve coffee for a living or you pastor a church. It doesn't matter. Uh, if, if you don't have time for family, uh, then like Moses, you're going to need to learn how to reorganize your life so that you can create more time. And that may be leadership lesson number one for somebody. So Jethro comes back in verse 7. He comes back, he brings Moses' family back to him, and they meet, and they kiss, and they hug, and, and they're having this meal together, and Moses tells Jethro all the things that God has done, and all the miracles that's been happening, and Jethro, his mind is blown. He's like, this is amazing. He is completely enthralled. He loves hearing these testimonies. And it says that they go off, and they make sacrifices together. And then finally, look at verse 13. It says, the next day, Moses took his seat uh, to serve as judge for the people. So here's Moses' opportunity. He's like, you know, I get to show off a little bit for father-in-law. Father-in-law's in town. He can see me at work, right? Watch, the, watch me do my stuff. Um, it's good to have good father-in-laws, right? I, I'm very blessed. I have a wonderful father and a wonderful father-in-law. And both of these guys are not afraid to tell me what I need to hear. And I'll just say that. We'll just put it that way. They're so good. There's a blessing in my life. Uh, and so the next day, Moses, he takes a seat, and they stand around. The people are standing around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw that Moses was doing for the people, he said, notice, Jethro's going to ask him two questions. He says, what is this you're doing for the people? And why do you alone sit as judge while all of these people stand around you from morning till evening? So Jethro's, he's coming in. He's kind of seeing things with fresh eyes. We need that, don't we? Sometimes we just, we're just used to the way it is. I'm haggard and torn, and this is just the way it is. It's got to be this way. And somebody can come in with fresh eyes and say, why are you making yourself the center of it all? Anybody ever felt like that? Why do you take on this whole mantle by yourself? And, this is, and also all the other people are having to like wait for their chance to get a piece of you for your attention. It's not good for you. It doesn't seem to be good for them. Why are you doing it this way? By the way, here's, a, here's a, another great point when it comes to learning how to be people of influence with other people. Whenever you have to share some advice with somebody, always start with questions. That's one of the great things that Jethro does here. When you have to share advice, start with clarifying questions. Um, in, in fact, sometimes uh, that's all you'll need to say. You can approach someone and say, hey, I don't understand. Why do you do it this way? Or can you help me understand, like, why you believe this way or that way or something like that? Or if you do believe this, uh, you know, how do you reconcile that with what Jesus taught over here? I'm just not sure. Uh, you know, help me understand. And it's a, it's a respectful way to start a conversation is to start with questions. And I'll say this, it also helps you understand the situation better because it could be that your observations are way off, right? And, and you may back away from that and go, oh, you know what? I'm glad I asked because I, I misunderstood before and now I'm really, now I understand a little better why it is you do the way you do. Or very often in asking the question, sometimes the question itself is enough to open someone's eyes 
to, to what just hasn't been obvious to them before, because they just haven't really put it into words. They haven't heard themselves say it out loud. Uh, there's something valuable about that. And uh, I, I notice that you know, whenever, like, if Melissa and I have a little disagreement, sometimes I'll, I'll feel like all like, upset about something. And when I try to say it out loud to put it into words, I realize I am a fool. I'm being very ridiculous here, and I should just stop and go, you know what, I am sorry, let me walk away from this right now, because this is starting to sound stupid when I hear myself say it. So, but sometimes when we, when we ask people questions, when they begin to formulate a response, it's like, ah, a light will dawn on them, and they'll begin to give themselves the advice that they need. Or when you do give advice, you'll know better what to say. Either way, questions are always a win. Always start with questions for your benefit and for theirs. In verse 15, Moses responds, why do I do this? Well, it's because the people come to me to seek God's will. And whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me. And I decide between the parties and form them of God's decrees and instructions. There's a lot of me and I in here, in there. Moses is saying, listen, it's because I work so hard for God. I get up from morning until nighttime. I am doing this for the people, and they need me, and I'm teaching them God's Word. You don't know. I mean, sure, I'm neglecting my family, and I don't really have any friends, and occasionally I stand over the sink late at night to drink to cope with everything, but I'm doing this for God, right? I mean, this is, this is good stuff. I'm doing, I'm in ministry. Aren't I wonderful? I'm doing it for Yahweh. And look at Jethro's next line. Verse 17. Moses' father-in-law replied, yeah, what you're doing is not good. Amen. Poor Moses. He just got done, like, telling him all the good stuff I'm, you know, he's doing. I'm like, I'm doing this, all this good from morning until night. And Jethro says, no, no, what you're, ooh, this is not good. What you're doing is all screwed up. We have to take a second look at this. And you know what the beautiful thing is? That sometimes um, only family can speak that bluntly. Isn't that the truth? Anybody have like sisters or brothers? And they don't let you get away with anything. They cut through it all, right? And just tell you exactly how it is or, or how they see it is. Uh, and, and the beautiful thing is that family can be that way. Real family just kind of earns the right uh, to just put their finger on it and say, no, you know, you're not as impressive as you think you are. Because um, here's the mistakes that you're making. What you're doing is not good. He says, you and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. So you're also going to wear out the people based on this whole crazy system you're, that's doing. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. So Jethro says, let me give you some advice. Uh, and he tells them in verse 20, he says, look, Moses, you teach the people God's decrees and instructions and show them the way that they are to live and how they are to behave. That's good. That's, that's a good thing. That's a good role. You embrace that teaching role for all the people. We need people who can do that. But he says when it comes to these personal applications, everybody's situation in life, you need help. You need other people who can learn to do that with one another. And he says in verse 23, instead, select capable men from all the people Men who fear God, trustworthy men. These are folks with integrity who have, you know, godly character. And appoint them as officials over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens and have them serve. This is a, this is like the beginning of organizational structure, isn't it? 
right? There's nothing wrong with organizational structure. And we see this is, this is uh, true with, with anything kind of organic that happens, whether you're starting a business. You know, so, you know, if you start a business in your garage and it's like you and three other people, it's just like everybody does everything you can. And, you know, you might be starting the business and going to the tax office and emptying the waste paper baskets. And, every, you know, you're doing it all. Or when you start a church, we, you know, we started this church in a hotel room. And it's just a little handful of people starting in a hotel room. Let's do it, you know. And everybody's job was basically everything. Just if you see it, do it. That was the job. You know, and over time, as things grow, you got to have some structure because you, it's not sustainable, right? It's not sustainable. And so, so Jethro's saying, get organized and rely on the good people around you. And yes, the people need, they need that overall teacher. They need that person to, you know, you to cast the vision, lead them onward. But don't think that you're the center of helping everybody apply everything. That's impossible. And in fact, the New Testament church has borrowed from this same biblical structure from, you know, the year A.D. 30 on, on to today, oh, throughout the centuries, even down to the local church. And here at Generations, we have pastors, and we have teachers, we have leaders and helpers. And I teach most of the Sunday mornings um, services. But we also have small group leaders, right? We've got home life leaders. We've got teen leaders and youth leaders and children leaders. We have leaders of our volunteer teams who are doing, uh, we have people who do counseling when it comes to marriage or money issues, people who are wise and experienced in those areas. And none of it, none of it is about, well, this person is more spiritual than this person, or this person is more special in God's eyes than this other person over here. It's simply a way of organizing ourselves, you know, intentionally, so that we can, we can move forward in unity and, and in one purpose and serve our community the best way possible. And in the end, what does it do? It serves not only our, our leaders, it serves everybody better. It serves our community better. And so, and so the Jethro says, this will make your load lighter because they'll share it with you. It'll make your load lighter. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ, right? Paul said that to the Galatians. This is going to make your load lighter. Easier is not always bad, guys. Jesus says, my yoke should feel easy. It should feel light. It should be a joy to serve Jesus. Amen. Now, hard work is good. Hard work is a virtue, especially kind of in our American culture. It's kind of like the ultimate virtue. But there's times when working harder isn't necessarily working smarter. And... and what happens at the end of all this, what's so beautiful about the story is that Moses listens, and he implements it. It goes really well. And then Jethro goes home. And here's another beautiful character trait about Jethro. I can see he travels all this way. And in fact, where Midian was at the time, this is kind of like we would think of modern day, maybe Jordan or like Western Saudi Arabia. So this is quite a journey. He's gone a long way to meet the Israelites here. He's come all this way. He observes. He asks questions. He advises Moses of a better way to live and to lead. And, he, and remember, he's not even a fully committed member of this fellowship of faith, but he believes enough, and he gives his advice, and then he leaves. Because that's another good thing to remember about influencing people, right? You help, you, you, you offer help, and then you know when to back off Amen. and say, look, I, I've shared what I need to share. I'll leave it with you. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, by the way, there's a couple of reasons I think Moses is such a good leader uh, in the wilderness. I can think of a couple of reasons. Number one, 
One of the first reasons he's a good leader is because he's a good follower. Moses is a good follower. He kept coming to God. We see this throughout his life. He keeps coming to God and saying, what's next? God, what do we do next? Isn't that a beautiful picture of even Jesus? Jesus, the Son of God, walked around. He did all the teaching. He did the healing. He was the man. And then what did he do in the evening? He withdrew and went to be with the Father, to be filled up and to be led by the Spirit and to say, what's next? So God leads, Moses follows, and that helps Moses in turn lead the people. And as this story reveals, Moses is humble enough, not just to receive from God, but to receive instruction from other people around him. That takes great humility. And I tell you, you show me somebody who is in charge of anything, and they become such a big shot, too much of a big shot to listen to anybody. I'll show you a dictator or a cult leader, right? We all need to listen. We all need to listen. One of the (laughs) driving truths in my life is that when I'm in a room of people and we're discussing a plan or an idea or we're we're shooting ideas around back and forth, the thing that I take great comfort in that I make sure is always, I always remember is true is that I am not the smartest person in the room. I never want to be the smartest person in the room. If I ever find myself as the smartest person in the room, I need new friends, right? Uh, something's, Something's gone wrong. Never be the smartest person in the room. And if you're a leader in any sense of the word, if you have an opportunity to influence other people around you, then one of the gifts that you give them is to be a good follower, is to be a good listener. And if you're going to be a good leader, be a good follower of God, follow God, and be a humble listener to the wisdom that other people have to offer you, even people you wouldn't expect it to come from, right? The priest of Midian has something to tell me about how to lead the people of God? Hey, you never know. So I can, I can also think of a second reason Moses was a good leader. I think Moses was a good leader in the wilderness, uh, specifically because he had already been there. Moses was a great leader for people going through the wilderness because he had already been there. He had already spent a lot of time there. If you remember back from his earlier part of his life, we talked about it in our, the, the other series that we did several years ago about the first part of Moses' life. Before he ever stood in front of Pharaoh shouting, let my people go, before he was doing all that, he lived for 40 years, where? In this wilderness. This is like his land. He knows this place. He was there alone for many, many years in the wilderness. And then he ended up building a family down in the wilderness in Midian. He built a family down there. And he meets God in the wilderness. And he has this burning bush experience. It's his time in the wilderness where he encounters God. And he builds his faith in the wilderness that actually, I think, makes him an amazing leader for others who are going through their own wilderness journey. I can picture God coming to Moses and saying, okay, Moses, here's the plan. I want to lead the people. I want to lead my people out of slavery in Egypt and into this promised land, this beautiful land flowing with milk and honey. I can imagine Moses going, Moses, uh, God, I mean, I don't know anything about living in slavery. I don't know anything about promised lands of milk and honey. I'm a wilderness guy. And God's like, funny thing about the journey that I'm planning, right? It's all wilderness, right? And let me ask you this, if, if you or encourage you in this, if, if you have an opportunity to lead other people or to influence other people, if you have an opportunity to serve other people, be aware of your own wilderness experience that, that you bring to the table. You're bringing something very valuable 
to the table. Some of you, I know, are going through a, a wilderness experience right now. It might be a time that's just, there's a really frustrating time in your life. There's a lot of unanswered questions. It's unsettled. It's scary. For some of you, it, it's a time of tremendous pain. You're going through loss, hurt, loneliness, whatever that is. But I am convinced, and please hear me in this, I am convinced that God can and will use your wilderness experience. He wants to use that, not only to help you lean on Him and to grow your faith, but to help you lead others. They need that that you have inside you just through your experience, through your own wilderness journey. He's there to, to help you help other people go through what they're going through. Uh, and that's certainly one of the ways that God prepares uh, this man who would lead Israel through the desert. He shows up one day and calls a guy who had already been there. So today, let me finish by making, making this real practical for us. How can we apply this to our life? Um, as believers in Christ, we are a spiritual family. And it's so important that we allow each other that privilege and that honor of speaking into each other's lives. I know sometimes it's, it's a vulnerable thing to open yourself up to the advice of other people, right? Because you never know, you're, ne you're never sure like where they're coming from. Do they have your best interests in mind? But family has each other's best interests in mind. And as the body of Christ, this is how we're supposed to live. Nobody walks alone. We keep saying that. No one walks alone. We need each other. And we need to have the courage to speak into each other's lives and to welcome others to be close enough to speak into our lives, to have those awkward truth-telling conversations, right? Like Jethro could have. He, he just felt like he could have. To just say, hey, I love you, but, but why are you doing it this way? It, this may not be the best way for you. So you got to ask yourself, do I have those kind of relationships, this kind of community? This should be typical. This should be normal for a, a loving Christian church to have, to live this way. And so my challenge question, we've been offering a challenge question each, each week. My challenge question is this, who is your Jethro and who is your Moses? Who's your Jethro? Who's your Moses? Uh, who's the person who speaks into your life with that kind of familiarity with family? And who are you able to speak into? As I said, I am so blessed uh, to have people in my life that I trust, not only my family, but friends, brothers and sisters, people who I know have my best interest at heart, who can, who can ask questions, speak into my life. I couldn't live without them. Um, these, these are friends who, who I, I, I have the confidence to know that uh, they're looking out for my, my best. It gives me the confidence, too, to know that I'm not going to, like, do anything too insane uh, when I get some wild idea, right? You need those people in your life to, to help, you know, ground you. Uh, and I also have the people in my life who can speak and wake me from the ruts that I get into, who are like, hey, you know, it's time to, time to move forward. You've been here in this comfort zone for a long time. Those kind of people in your life are, are invaluable. Who is your Jethro? And who's the person that you can be Jethro to? If you're walking in love and you're showing the kind of integrity and humility in your life, it shouldn't be hard for people to, uh, people that you're close to, to listen to your questions, to listen to your input. People who have that kind of integrity, who show that kind of integrity, people naturally, they, they find it a joy to hear your thoughts on things. 
And, you know, if you find some, if you find, like, nobody ever wants to listen to me. Nobody ever wants to listen to me. Uh, then maybe examine yourself and ask, am I showing that kind of integrity in my personal life where people would trust what's coming from me? Am I saying things in the kind of love and humility that I'm supposed to have with other people? And, and if, you know, those questions might be, well, Lord, I, I do need to grow in those areas, right? But you need to be courageous to speak up. Be courageous enough to speak up and ask God to, to salt your words with the kindness and love to make sure you are out for their good, not just trying to make everybody bend to your opinions, um, which is easy for us to get into. One of the reasons I absolutely need, I crave and need to go to home life every week, a little plug for home life, it's because I crave to hear what God is speaking through other people. I love sitting in that circle and hearing what God is saying through other people. And, and, and you'll have an opportunity this week to experience this in your groups. It's a space for everybody to dive in and, and get closer to one another. I encourage you, don't sit on the sidelines. Take advantage of it. Amen. It, home life is where we get to be family with each other, right? Whether you're actually related to each other or not, it is where we come together and we have that Jethro-Moses relationship with one another. It's beautiful. I love what Paul says to Timothy in the New Testament. He says, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. And treat younger men as brothers, and older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. This is a beautiful passage. How does, what's Paul's model for how we come together and we treat each other? Family. Family, family, family. It's, that's the model. We can be that close. We really can because we got the Holy Spirit inside us to knit our hearts together and He flows in us and among us. When the Holy Spirit is involved in your, in your group, in your small group, and you're, you're there, it's a beautiful thing. And we can trust each other because we're all called to this one mission, right? And the one mission is to make disciples. It, how do we do that? By helping each other become more like Jesus. That's why we're here, to help each other become more like Jesus. When I think about why I get up in the morning, it's not for a paycheck. It's not just to fulfill some duty. What is that overarching purpose in my life as a Christian? If I try to just boil it down, it comes down to this. I want to follow Jesus and I want to help others come with me. I want to follow Jesus and I want others to join me. That's why I get up on Sunday morning. That's why I'm excited every Sunday morning to get up at five in the morning because I want to follow Jesus. I want to, I want to bring others with me to follow Jesus, to find my joy in Jesus, to fall more in love with Jesus, to become more like Jesus just through the example and the encouragement of other people that I see, to help other people join me. And you know, the beautiful thing is, if this becomes your reason for living, your reason for getting up in the morning, to follow Jesus and to help others come with you, he, if you put Jesus first, He will mentor you in all the other things going on in your life all the other important hats you wear. He'll help you be a better husband, a better wife, a better father, a better mother, a better grandparent, a better son, a better daughter. He'll help you be better on the job, right? A better friend. He'll help you be more successful with the resources that he's entrusted you with. And he will mentor you how to spend your time, how to spend, you know, how to spend your your time with your, your hobbies and, and your, that work-life balance. He'll help you with that, and he'll mentor you in all these things. You never have to worry that if I make Jesus first, he's going to overwhelm me, and I won't have time for family or the, anything that I enjoy. You don't have to worry about that. 
He gives you more. God is generous and he loves you. What he will help you do is cut out the fat a little bit, right? And he will help you organize and help you, help you see what is the most important, what actually is the most joyful thing. What, what, is, I can, what is it that I can put my hand to today? But he'll mentor you in all these things. But we put him first. That's why we get up in the morning. And here's the other thing is that we all need you to help that make it happen for us. We need you in our life. You help everybody around you. Like I said, like I said, getting up here, it's such a blessing to see your face this morning. You don't even know. You have no idea what a blessing it is to see your faces. We need you, everybody around you, the person sitting next to you, even if you don't even know them, you are a blessing in their life. Your presence is a blessing. And we need to hear the, way the, the ways that God is speaking to you this week. We need to hear the, what God has been doing for you. And we need to hear the struggles you're going through. All those things, it's all part of it. We need everybody around you. We, and we need you to be courageous enough to, to be part of the family. So that's the other hard part. I know in this day and age, this is a very non-committal day and age. It's not cool to join stuff, right? It's, it, this is just the, the day and age where everything's on demand. I'll like subscribe, but I'm gonna watch it when I want to, right? Like if you told me there's a show that comes on at 7 p.m., please, I'll watch it when I want to. That's what Netflix is for. We live in a very non-joining kind of culture, but we can't be that way with the body of Christ. We can't be non-committal. We have to engage with our brothers and sisters. We have to come to the body. We have to come to the church, and then we, we engage with each other and influence the way you were created to do. That's the way you, you were created to be influential, right? Even if you feel like, I'm going through my own wilderness right now. This is what we talked about last week too. Don't wait. Don't wait for everything to get all healed and whole and perfect and you've got all your ducks in a row before God can start using you right now, Amen. right? God wants to use you right now. So I want to pray for us all this week that we would meet this challenge uh, to, to hear these words from Scripture and, and to hear what the Holy Spirit may be saying to us, to convicting us. I know he's, I know he's talking to some of us on one point or another because he loves us, and he loves us just the way we are, but he, does, he loves us too much to keep us this way, right? He wants us to grow. He wants us to live more joyful lives, more connected lives, lives connected with him and connected with our fellow brothers and sisters. And, and, and I want to pray that we don't fight that, that tugging in our heart. Don't fight it, but that we say, yes, I want to align with the purposes of Christ so that I can be a part of what God is doing through his people. So let's pray that this becomes our experience this week. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to us through the scriptures, through the life of Moses and through the wisdom of Jethro. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us through your Holy Spirit this morning. Thank you for convicting us in those areas in our lives that we need to change. Thank you for speaking to us, Lord, through people in our circles who are like family, the people who are wise, even the people who may not be right about everything or agree with all of our opinions about things but they have something to say that represents your will, represents your kingdom way. May, we, may our ears be open to that, Lord God. And I pray you would give us the courage, Lord, to respond in humility and to be teachable, to have ears to hear. Lord, I pray that we would just have this sense of renewal and revival across this church to know that we're a valued part of your community, that each of us are doing our part, Lord. And finally, Lord, 
I thank you so much for the precious children who are here with us today. I thank you for the priceless Kids World leaders and helpers who each week, Lord, love them and serve these treasures that you call priceless. We thank you for them, Lord God. Blessings on their lives, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, stand to your feet with me this morning as our prayer partners are coming forward. If there's anything you need prayer about, if you need a healing in your body, you need answers, you need some direction, uh, maybe you just need God to help you get out of the rat race that you're in right now and show you a better way to live, these people would love to pray with you and help uh, and stand with you. Because we believe that God, when we pray to God, He leads us. He says in the, in the word that we can ask him for wisdom and he gives it freely. He loves to give us wisdom. Amen. So come and let them pray with you. Amen. And friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and merciful to you in this day that we're living in. Grace and peace be with you. Kids, you did great today. Let's everybody give our kids a big hand. Woo! All right. Hope you don't get too wet. God has given all the trees and flowers a good drink of water today. Amen. Be blessed.